One, two, three. Welcome to Highest Potential with Steve Pettit, a podcast that explores how Bob Jones University empowers individuals to reach their highest potential for God's glory. We'd like to welcome you today to our podcast, Highest Potential, and so glad that you're with us here today. Two weeks ago, we were able to have two of our professors from Bob Jones University that are part of our School of Health Professions. And they were here with us to talk about the coronavirus, Dr. Amy Hicks and Dr. Bernard Cadio. These are experts in public health. Dr. Cadio is a member of the World Health Organization. And so two weeks ago, they were able to basically explain to us the coronavirus at the time when not everybody really understood what it was and how, where it came from and and what it does in the life of people. And two weeks uh, have seemed like two years, and so we're a lot more knowledgeable today. And uh, yet I I think it's really important that we take some time to ask the most pertinent questions that are on people's minds today. And I'm so glad to have you, Dr. Hicks. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. And Dr. Cadio, thank you for coming back. Thank you for having us. And uh, I hope that you're staying healthy and safe uh, here in Greenville, South Carolina. So let's begin. uh, So some of the questions we're going to ask will be straightforward. They could be even controversial to some people. Uh, We're we're doing the best that we can as a university to teach good health and to support our government. So let's let's begin uh, with the first question, and that is explain to us how the restrictions that are going on uh, how they're working, and then explain to us maybe a little bit how how this would be done in other parts of the world. Dr. Hicks. Well, I'll start. Um, when you said we talked two weeks ago, it kind of seems a little bit startling how much has happened in two weeks. So when we talked two weeks ago, we were really kind of on the cusp of any kind of outbreak in the U.S. We were talking about uh, around, I think we had about 3,000 cases in the U.S. at that time. South Carolina only had nine confirmed cases and uh, none in Greenville County at that time two weeks ago. And so since then, and we were kind of starting to think about what is the new normal going to look like? What is it going to look like? How much are we going to be restricted from going out? Um, our churches, I think at that time, Churches were just talking about how they would respond to this, if they were going to have to start live streaming their services. Two weeks later, we have gotten much more used to this idea of what some call social distancing. We could call physical distancing instead because we don't want to be socially distant. We want to be socially present for each other all the time. But um, we started talking about physical distancing, the need to uh, wash our hands frequently. And so how are these things working? Well, two weeks later, we are at more than 165,000 cases in the U.S., up from our 3,000 confirmed cases. South Carolina, up from nine, has about 1,000 confirmed cases yesterday. We'll be over that today, well over that, I'm sure. Greenville County is pushing 100. 
So um, not well, I guess, is the, the general answer to that. We've seen that uh, growth that we talked about being in the linear phase where we see a few cases added every day. We are definitely well out of the linear phase, much more into that exponential phase where we're seeing tens and tens and tens of thousands of cases every day being confirmed. Dr. Cadio, you have experience around the world. You grew up in West Africa. Uh, you understand these diseases quite well. And explain to us typically how uh, these kinds of cases would be handled and then maybe what happens when things are not handled as well. Uh, thank you very much. In general, there is a model that we call the uh, compartmental model or the SIR model. S stands for susceptible, I stands for infectious, and the R stands for recovered. In other words, uh, in a given geographic area, whenever there is an outbreak going on, you have three groups of people. You have two, three groups of individuals. You have individuals who are susceptible, you have individuals who are infectious, and you have individuals who are recovered. And what you want to do when you implement your measures is to be able to, number one, actively identify those different individuals and then divide and separate them so that especially those who are infectious do not come into contact with those who are susceptible. And this is the whole underlying principle of the quarantine and confinement measures. So uh, the best way, actually, and this is what, it, what has been done all along history, the best way to handle a very difficult outbreak is, if feasible, if possible, to identify uh, the individuals that are infectious and then isolate them so that life can go on. And so uh, what we're doing here now basically is we're all trying to be isolated from one another. Um, how, how, how do you see things going on uh, in the next two to three weeks or maybe two to four weeks or over the next month? Obviously, we're doing it a little bit differently here in the USA. Not only in the U.S., but the Western world has have a completely a different approach. One of the reasons for that was uh, we, we still have to keep in mind that it's a very new virus. And uh, yes, on January 7th, we had the genetic uh, sequence of the virus, which uh, allowed to have some tests. However, testing, the, even the first test to come out when were not that accurate. But it's just now that we are starting seeing some very, some rapid diagnostic tests based on a very strong method. So yes, at the beginning, because of poor resourcing, it was difficult to kind of identify the infectious uh, uh, individuals, but now we have that option available. So I would not be surprised to see a change in the approach in the coming weeks, especially in states and countries where they are, at the, they are still in the linear phase of the outbreak. I see. So what you're saying is that our, our ability to um, diagnose it is much better today than it was even two weeks ago. Yes, hopefully even better than it was a few days ago or a week ago, that you cannot isolate 
infectious people if they're waiting a week to find out if they actually have the virus. Because by that time, they've already gone grocery shopping, they've already gone to Lowe's and Walmart, and so just as a matter of them interacting with the susceptible people, you're going to see this explosion of cases. So if as soon as someone starts to feel symptoms, or even before they have symptoms, you can identify them quickly within um, 5, 15 minutes uh, and tell them you're positive for the virus, then they're going to be able to self-quarantine or implement stricter measures to quarantine. So uh, we, we know that a lot of our, our good friends who uh, we, all, we all listen to news sources and, uh, every, and everybody talks about the coronavirus everywhere you go. So obviously uh, there are some people who think that this is not really that big of a deal or it's not that bad. It's just, it's just uh, another case of the flu. How would you explain that it's actually different from that? Well, this is not the flu. So first of all, just looking from a scientific point, it's not a flu virus. It's, a, it's an entirely different family of viruses. But it also, when people started saying it's like the flu, it's because they were hearing that it had flu-like symptoms. So, but as we've seen more about this, it's not like the flu. It's very quickly a pneumonia disease. It can become much more severe very quickly. And so one of the things that we heard early on was, yeah, but it's only severe for older people. But as we're seeing more and more cases, that's not true. Young people die of this too. And another way that this is not like the flu, the flu has a, uh, oh, I should, like a 0.1% death rate. This, if you're doing well, has a 2% death rate. And so I hear people saying, oh, 2% death rate, that's no big deal. Well, if you think about that, 2% death rate is a really big deal. Out of every 100 people that get this disease, if you're doing well, two of them are going to die. So uh, if we have 1,000 people on Bob Jones University that get this disease, 20 are going to die. That's a lot. That's a lot of people that die. That means every one of us will know somebody who dies of the coronavirus. So here on the campus of Bob Jones University, we, we took pretty, pretty um, decisive measures a couple of weeks ago to close the campus. And uh, so tell us, tell us how things are going on the campus here from your perspective. From my perspective, I'm sad. It's really sad to not have students sitting in front of you every day, but I'm very happy that administration took the, the steps that it did. I think it had multiple effects. Well, first of all, it protected the health of our faculty, staff, and our students by um, eliminating those close quarters, but also in taking the steps that the administration did at the time they did, it allowed us to flip our classes with plenty of time to get students back in and to succeed. So we started classes Monday, yesterday, just yesterday. And as I looked, I have had 100% participation. Students are jumping right back in. They're doing fantastic. And uh, I think that really goes back to the fact that we had time to get everybody prepared. So we know that we have lots of our graduates who are, who are from the School of Health Profession who are out as nurses and doctors, uh, especially up here in the upstate of South Carolina. But could you tell us about some of our students who were in class just a couple of weeks ago and what some of our even our current students are doing right now? Sure. I was speaking with one just yesterday, actually, who has been spending these last few weeks working at a clinic back home. 
Uh, we have others who went home and worked as EMTs. They already had their certification as emergency medical technicians. And we have others, graduates, that are working as physicians, nurses in the area. Uh, we have multiple graduates that work in, in pediatricians' offices. Uh, so we have students that have spread out, and they're really answering the call, whether they're students now, recent grads, long-term grads. Um, we can be very thankful for how they're stepping up and integrating into their communities. And really, I mean, just even here at, at school, uh, our, our whole vision for the School of Health Professions is to train the next generation of Christian health workers who are willing to face these kinds of issues with joy and confidence in the Lord and be able to show compassion and care to other people. Absolutely. So I think there's a question, maybe we should say the elephant in the room question that is on everybody's mind. And I would like, like both of you to speak to this. And that is, okay, so we, we're aware of the coronavirus. It's affected all of our lives. It's all over the news. Um, you know, it was stated that maybe we could be back in church on Easter Sunday, which is in a couple of weeks. We know that's not a reality. That's not going to happen. So looking for, looking out in the future, uh, I think a couple of questions is, how long should we expect the virus to continue? I know that that's a very difficult question to answer. And and how how bad do we see it getting here in the USA? I know you 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 know this is a question that everybody's trying to ask and answer, but maybe you could give us give us some help along this way. Well, I can start with just kind of some estimates on when we're going to see the peak of this and then I'll let Dr. Cadio answer in more detail. But right now, for instance, the CDC has estimated that Atlanta, so not far away from us at all, will peak in their incidence and in their, uh, the burden of disease around April 23rd. So we're looking at this getting worse before it gets better, really. And um, other epidemiologists who advise the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, are talking about the peak of deaths coming really three weeks from now. So as we're seeing this explosion of cases that are being diagnosed, as we move on with that, we're also going to see more of an explosion of, of death, uh, severe disability from this, uh, or severe morbi morbidity from this within the next few weeks and through the month of April. And also, uh, again, back to one question that was asked earlier about how serious this is. It's really serious because... Even when you do your comparison with a normal flu, you have to put it in the time's perspective, okay? The, the truth of the matter, what is it that the numbers are saying? The numbers are saying that in the past two weeks, over 10,000 people died in Italy. Mm -hmm. That uh, in the past week, on an average of 400 people have been dying in Spain. And uh, this is not common. This, Even, is not, this is not normal. Absolutely no. not. So, and uh, this is here the real, real uh, trap that comes with the COVID-19 pandemic. It's that there is a period where you feel like, okay, it's not as bad as people have been saying. But in all reality, it's not you setting the timeline of action. It's the virus setting the timeline. 
this time should be used for preparedness. This time should be used for getting ready the, the way we are going to respond, our, uh, our social structure, our, our uh, medical infrastructures, our supplies, our PPEs. Actually, I call it the time of grace, actually. Mm -hmm. But instead, and, and, uh, and coming to the question that was just uh, asked is, when you, the, the problem is even, you can say, okay, in two, three weeks, this is going to receive the pick, and then, okay, this is, in general, you have to do your analysis at a granular level. Then you are going to find out, like, okay, it's going to be, it's, it's now in New York, then it's it will be moving in Louisiana, then it will come uh, in Washington, and then so you will see like peaks here, peaks there, peaks there, but while we have that period of grace in all reality, this is where we all should learn uh, what to do in terms of population, in terms of social and medical infrastructure. So what you're really, America is a big country. So you could be at the epicenter today in New York City, yes, and the epicenter could be in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, in in a month from now. So a part of it is just the size of the country, and then how does everybody respond in their own areas? So it's really very very difficult to know the time frame on this. So just some practical things of of what you recommend for us to be doing now. I know many people, we've heard some of the same things, but any, any light you'd like to shed on that? What we do depends on who we are. We are believers. We are researchers. For us at the School of Health Profession, our philosophy is that, number one, and this is what we teach to our students, is that what model of health are we promoting, actually? You have uh, different paradigms of health. You have the biomedical approach, and uh, this has been more prevalent, but now we are seeing more and more that actually this is just 25% of health. And bi biomedical, by that you mean? Treat disease treat once diseases. it's already happened. Okay, I got you. Okay. Uh -huh. But at the School of Health Promotion, uh, Profession, sorry, we are promoting a model of health that is more inclusive. Okay, health is a state of well-being, both physical, social, mental, and spiritual. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is who we are. So what should we be doing at this point? We certainly have to promote the traditional ways of solidarities. I mean, it doesn't make sense at all to have people, uh, to have the medical professionals making decisions in Italy who is going to die and who is going to live because of lack of access to respirators. When if within two hours of flying, you have the, on the other side of the border hospitals that are begging for patients, for example. So, so, so those traditional models of solidarity should be implemented. Mm -hmm. But personally, as believers also, uh, we at the School of Health Profession, we are kind of backing away of that notion of social distancing because there is a mixed messaging there. We'll, we understand perfectly that it's okay, six feet, it's, a, it's physical distancing, but we want more social engagement. And mm -hmm. yes, we have our students that are jumping and taking actions, but even making phone calls to people. We are now having a website where we are putting together information for 
for the different communities here in the Greenville area. Uh, next week, we'll start calling the shelters, the homeless shelters, and, and trying to see if there is something that we could do to help them. We are sharing data with Africa, with uh, uh, South America, so that we can come together and provide very concrete actions uh, in terms of knowledge, in terms of advice, in terms of material, in terms of, I mean, what whatever can be useful. Uh, we are kind of pulling together those resources to be so, able to So you're saying next week we will have a website up and going? Yes. And what is, how do we get to the website? It will be, there will be a main link to it on today.bju.edu. Okay. And it says coronavirus. And then when you click on coronavirus, it will take you to uh, a lot of different information sites. So some of those will be written for lay people giving general information. Others will be written for more the scientific community. And some of it will even be in French and Spanish in our effort to collaborate more with uh, governments and healthcare professionals in different regions of the world. So so people can get this information by going to bju.edu, today.bju.edu, and then we're yes. going to spread it out through yes. our social media our social media platforms, and you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook at BJU President. So many of you that are listening to this can get a lot of this information. Um, So I I think I'd like to uh, really conclude, if we could, uh, this is very helpful, and I know a lot of people will probably uh, have even more questions as time goes along, but as a Christian— uh, we we want to get out the message of hope, the mm-hmm. message of Christ. And so in all of this, um, maybe just a few words on how, as a believer, we should be responding in this time. Well, I was reading Matthew 6 this morning as I went along, and I came to the passage where Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And then he goes down and says, Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Your father knows what you need. So I guess that's the first thing I would say is that this is not a time to turn inward and to become self-protective. It's a time to really look outward. We have to be wise. We need to implement the restrictions that the government has given to us for our health and for the good of our neighbors. But we don't have to respond in fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And one of the things that sociologists are seeing and medical professionals are seeing is that there's becoming this this great isolation mm-hmm. and this feeling of Uh, increased anxiety and depression. And this is where Christians uh, can respond in a different way. We can respond with joy. We can respond in creative ways to reach out to our neighbors, to, to share the gospel and to show that we know and we act like this didn't take God by surprise. We all say that, oh, I know this didn't take God by surprise, but do we act like it? Do we trust him in those decisions or are we running to the grocery store and hoarding toilet paper? So how are we reacting to this, and how are our children seeing that we respond to this? Dr. Cadia? Yeah, and uh, also as as believers, I mean, call somebody and pray on the phone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I was so happy to to see my students back online. It was online, but it we are family at Bob Jones University, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, yes, we cannot physically uh, have contact with each other. However, we can pray together on the phone. We can send emails. We can, uh, and this is who we are. Mm. I was reading in Paul's letters, and he talked about how his heart yearned for those believers mm-hmm. that he loved. And I could say that we we here understand that yearning and how that we love our people, we love our faculty, our staff, we love our students. I had students writing me yesterday, and it was killing me in the sense that I wish I could see them. And so uh, we will, we'll see if, if where we're going to be in a couple of weeks and maybe we'll have you back again and just, uh, share your thoughts. And we really appreciate that, uh, as we are committed here at Bob Jones University, uh, in our school of health professions, as we are seeking to have influence on public health in the world today, especially through our graduates. Thank you, Dr. Hicks. Thank you, Dr. Cotillo. Thank you for having us. And may Thank the you. Lord bless us all as we seek to honor him at this time. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Highest Potential with Steve Pettit. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to follow BJU on social media at BJUEDU and Dr. Steve Pettit at at BJU President. Thank you.